We're going to talk about, in fact, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We were there last week when we talked about the big three. The big three in Matthew 6 is when you give, everyone say when you give, and then when you what? Pray. Everyone say when you, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. Now, last week we looked, because we, were, we, we had jumped into the middle of our Daniel fast, we looked at uh, a little bit about when you fast. But here's what I want you to understand about the big three, and this is what we learned last Wednesday night. Uh, uh, these three components are not three separate topics. Uh, they're all uh, part of what Jesus was trying to get across to his disciples in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6 in particular, he's talking about really the bigger context of that chapter is what you need to do to keep your heart connected and set rightly with God. We kind of focused on that because of Daniel chapter 10 when we were talking about fasting because it says the angel came to Daniel and he said, Daniel, from the first day that you what? Set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before me. Uh, uh, from the first day that you did that, your words were heard. It's not the first day you gave up pizza or the first day you, you just started, you know, you, you said no to sweets. It was the day you set your heart to understand. And so last Wednesday night, we talked about the heart. And really, Matthew 6, uh, because when he finishes up the, his teaching on when you give, when you pray, when you fast, then he talks about the heart. He says uh, that, that uh, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And, and so uh, that's really what it's all about. So we, last week, we looked at these three kind of lightly and discovered that when we give, when we pray, and when we fast, they work together to keep our hearts set on Him and not be distracted and diverted uh, uh, from God's will and plan for our life. So that's kind of where we were last week. Uh, and so tonight, I want to move and just talk again about prayer. And even if you've uh, kind of began your year kind of case sirrah sirrah, I, I'm here to encourage you to really focus uh, on your prayer life and really fine-tune your prayer life a little bit. And as the title uh, uh, says, uh, praying, like or praying like Jesus wants. In fact, Matthew 6 and other gospels, the disciples asked Jesus, they said this, Lord, teach us to pray. Everyone say that, Lord teach us to pray. Now close your eyes and say it for real. Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Now, there's no legalism in the, at the place of prayer. But I believe what Jesus was teaching in, a, in other gospels as, as well as Matthew 6, a methodology and a model to follow when it comes to the place of prayer and when it comes to the place of giving and when it comes to the place of fasting. And so Matthew chapter 6, are you there? If you're Matthew 6, say I'm there, Pastor. Matthew 6 verse 5 says, and when you pray. Everyone say that. And when you pray. Now, that phrase, when you, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. It infers something rather interesting, okay? And here it is. How many of you know those three when yous were not commandments? Jesus is talking to his disciples. The when you infers an assumption on Jesus' part. He's not commanding them to give and to pray and to fast. It infers an assumption of activity on their part already. That they had engaged themselves in the practice of giving and engaged themselves in the practice of praying and engaged themselves in the practice of, of fasting. He comes along just to tweak the established practices in their life. And so, hey... We may or may not be engaged in, in these three when yous in our life. But Jesus came 
And it's almost like he just said, this ought to be, this is standard MO for God's kids. You get that? It's not, it's not I command you. It's just when you're doing this, let me tell you how to do it. Let me fine tune the process in your life. Let me give you a model to follow. Everyone say a model to follow. And so in Matthew 6, there's a model to follow. We're going to look at this model again. I've taught this many times. I'm going to give you a little different twist on it tonight. But let's read it in Matthew 6. You follow with me. I'm in the New King James, verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Now let me stop and say, were they praying to God? No, they were, they were doing a show for men, okay? He says, assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. And what is it? Whatever the men would uh, acclaim them to be because of their show of prayer. But when you pray, but you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, last week we talked about this from the standpoint of our hearts. You see, the the hypocrites' hearts were polluted with selfish mindset and selfish ambition. But he said, when you pray, it's an intimate thing between you and me. It's a heart issue. When you look at Matthew 6 from the thought of he's, he's given us processes to keep our heart set on him. Uh, he said, man, go into the secret place. Open yourselves up to me. And the father who sees and hears in the secret place will reward you openly. He goes on in verse 7. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For the Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. Stop right there. Uh, you know what? Some people use the model prayer or what some have called the Lord's Prayer. It's really, I like better the model prayer. Uh, they've used it as a vain repetition. And really, this is not a vain repetition. It's really an outline of prayer. I'm going to show you that in just a moment. It's a model to follow. Everyone say a model to follow. So if you want to get consistent, if you want to get disciplined, if you want to learn how to pray effectively, that's what Jesus is talking about here in this prayer. He's praying, hey, I know you're praying. Uh, uh, when you're doing it, let me give you a model to follow. Let me give you something. I'm, hey, I'm reading between the lines here. Let me give you something that will help you have maximum impact at the place of prayer. How many of you want to have maximum impact at the place of prayer? And so follow Follow the model. Everyone say, follow the model. And he says about these, these uh, uh, religious guys who are really the hypocrites, uh, they think uh, that don't do vain repetitions. Now, when I was in high school uh, and football, we'd pray the Lord's Prayer together. And we'd all get in the huddle for the game. And as we started the prayer, it would just get heated up. And really, it was all, you know, our Father's heart in heaven, how be the name, kingdom come. Whoever done, whoever's in heaven, give us our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive our trespasses. Not in sin, but in kingdom. Power. And I go, right now let's go kill the enemy. You know, it was just—it's kind of bizarre. It was, you know, I'm not sure God heard it or not. Maybe He did, uh, but it was kind of a vain repetition. But really, this is not a vain repetition. Now, just let me time out here just a second. I saw a guy on TBN. I don't know if you've ever listened to Jensen Franklin or not, but they were talking about. Fasting. He wrote a book on fasting. He had Elmer Towns there is interviewing him. He wrote a book on fasting. Uh, and he said this. He said, he said, just pray this prayer four or five or six times a day. You don't have to get deep with it. But just pray this prayer as Jesus taught us to pray the prayer. I want to encourage you to do that. I want to give you the model to follow. I'm going to break it down for you here just a little bit. Uh, let me give you some foundation. Oh, let me finish off. Uh, I'll do verse 9 and through 13. Uh, he said, In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And everyone say the last word. Amen. Everyone say the last word. Amen. There's the model to follow. Now, I want to give you some foundational insights about this model of prayer. 
Number one, praying like Jesus wants. And that's really, how many of you know what he's teaching? This is, this is what he wants us to pray like. Praying like Jesus wants is not a religious duty, but a relational delight. It's not religious duty. And I think many times when we think about prayer, something, you know, whether hidden or subliminal in our life, it's the duty of all God's people to pray. We have to pray. We got to pray. So you, we're going to have to pray. Oh, Lord, I got I got you know, I got it's a, It's a, no, it's a relational delight. He said, don't be like those heathens, those hypocrites who pray out in the streets as some big religious duty and religious display, you go into your secret place. In fact, what does the, is it, yeah, Psalms, ooh, 27, I'm guessing, I can't remember. Delight yourself in the Lord. What is it? Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So when you think about prayer, just, just scratch out any mindset of religious duty or religiosity or punching your spiritual time clock. Now, I think we should be disciplined at the place of prayer, but you can be disciplined without being religious and you can be disciplined. How many of you, we got a few married folks in the house, uh, about 50-50 here, a few married folks. How many of you know relationship requires a disciplined approach or it'll begin to uh, degrade rather quickly, right? You got to be disciplined. In fact, the, this past week, uh, let's see, I can't remember. Uh, I, I went off somewhere for the day. I'm trying to remember what I did. And I came home and my wife had cleaned the whole house. Started cleaning out stuff and everything looked so wonderful. And the dog bed used to be behind my recliner and it smelled like dog bed. And she moved that and I'm just, and, and, and I was happy. But then I, I, I realized two days later that I had forgotten to tell her how much that pleased me. And so I was actually somewhere, uh, and, uh, I remembered that and I texted her. I, By the way, did you, did you, uh, I just want to tell you, I forgot to tell you how much that pleased me. And, uh, you know, no big deal. But how many of you know that relationship takes discipline? Okay, you got to stay engaged with it. It's not religious duty. Uh, you know, it's like oh, I had one friend of mine tell me years ago. He says, you know why I love my wife? I said, why? He said, because the Bible commands me to. I said, uh, I don't think so. Uh, that, that won't fly. He was being facetious a little bit. But it's, it's, it's a relational delight. You know what? And if you discipline yourself at the place of prayer, it will become a delight of your life. Because when you call unto him, he will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you know not, things you've never understood and, and new things in your life. So praying like Jesus wants is not a religious duty, uh, but a relational delight. Number two, praying like Jesus wants is not a legal, is not legalistic. The heathen think, it says, that they'll be heard because of their many words. Now that's legalism. The more I talk, the more I pray, the more God's going to hear me, right? How many of you know that's just absolutely not true? It's a legalistic mindset. And as I said a few moments ago, prayer is not legalistic. It's a relationship. It's not religious duty. It's not legalistic. Uh, you know, in fact, you know, this pray, we're praying and fasting. Did you know, uh, I've realized something about the Daniel fast. You can't be legalistic. Now, you can, you can go, you can be tough on yourself, and that's what it is about. But, you know, Beverly and I, on Monday, we'll be at a missions conference, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Uh, and at the missions conference, they're not on the Daniel fast. Okay? And we're not at home. And it's hard. You know, it's hard to ask, do these refried beans have bacon grease in them? It's just hard to... So, you know, my approach it there is I'm not a legalist about it. I'm not, I'm not uh, endeavoring to, to, to fudge everywhere I can. But at the same time, God's not a legalist, okay? Uh, and so 
you need to understand this about the model we follow. This is not a legalism. In fact, you know, you think I got to hit this prayer. I got to be, I got to pray this prayer. Did you know, as you go through this model prayer, uh, legalism says you better hit all, all points of it or you just, it's not going to be effective. How many of you know that's legalism? You might spend an hour on our father who art in heaven. I'm telling you, you could stay a while right there if you wanted, just embracing the fatherhood of God. So, Everyone say, it's not legalistic. So when you pray like Jesus wants, it's not a religious duty. It's not legalistic. And number three, uh, when you pray like Jesus wants, it's not about you. Everyone say, it's not about me. Oh, now think about that for a minute. And, 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 and let's just do a little mental check. Let's do a little mental calisthenics here. And let's examine our prayer life. However good, bad, or indifferent it is, just the times you pray, how much time is the focus on what's you, yours, you and yours? Think about it. Because that's where most of us end up in our life. It's about, oh, I've got to pray because I need this. I need that. I have this, you know, I need this provision in my life. So I've got to pray. I'm in this jam. So I've got to pray. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying when you're in a jam. How many of you know when you're in a jam? You, David said, you know, I, I, he picked me up out of a horrible pit. I'm in a jam. I'm crying out to God. There's nothing wrong with that. But listen, the model prayer is not about you. You know what it says in verse 8? Listen, and this is, I think, I'm kind of reading between the lines a little bit here. He says, therefore, don't be like them, for your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. Now, he's talking about what they're praying, and evidently what the hypocrites were praying is things that pertain to them. And he said, your father knows the things that you need before you ask him. Now, help me here, or just follow me for a little bit. Here's what, I'm reading between the lines a little here, but I, I think what Jesus is saying is, uh, in fact, he kind of caps it off in Matthew 6, If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things that you're worried about will just be added unto you. He knows what you need before you ask him. Are you with me? Say amen. And even the prayer... And there's one part of this prayer we're going to look at that has to do with provision. Give us this day our what? Daily bread. But how many of you know the provision of God and our daily bread, it's ultimately not about us. We need daily bread to fulfill his kingdom purposes because the, the theme of the, of the prayer is his kingdom and his will. Are you with me? Say amen. So that's the introduction to the model prayer. And so... Let me give you this one more thought that I didn't say. Praying the way Jesus wants is strategic. It's strategic. How many of you know if you're non-strategic in your approach to life, you're going to hit and miss? I've got a few hunters in the house here. A little hunter. How many of you know hunt, hunting is very strategic? You can't just, oh, there's a deer. Boom. You got to take aim. You got to have the right gear. You got to have the right ammo. You got to do it. You got. You can't just. You can't be haphazard in your prayer life. Most people, I dare say, are haphazard and scattered with their prayer life. They are not strategic with how they pray. And Jesus said, "When you pray, you know what He's teaching? Strategy." You see, if you get the right strategies, you can have maximum impact in your life. If you get your heart set right and you start praying the way Jesus wants, you're liable to get Jesus kind of results. Amen. How many of you want Jesus kind of results in your life? So I want to give you, I want to give you this through the, through the lens of strategy tonight to help you kind of get in your mind when I pray, when you pray. And, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I'm kind of just expanding. Jesus saying, when you pray, be strategic with how you pray, with, without, with how you pray. Don't be haphazard. Be sure and hit these important elements of a model 
for you to follow, okay? So here we go. It's the prayer that Jesus wants us to pray, the prayer strategy. Number one, this prayer is a prayer about praise and worship. It's interesting to me that this prayer begins with praise and worship and ends with praise and worship. And could I say, I've said it this way, uh, pray, you know, when how you come to God is very important. Let me say it again. How you come to God is very important. It's strategic. And when you come to God with the right mindset, and how many of you know praise is the language of faith? And how many of you know you've got to pray in faith? It's the prayer of faith that saves the sick. And so it's interesting to me. I think it's very strategic that Jesus would say, when you pray, this is how you begin. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's very strategic. And then you get to the end of the prayer. It's the other parentheses. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let me come in. In fact, here's the strategy of it. This is the, it, it's, I call it the strategy of proper access and egress. When you pray, you've got to have the right strategy of access and egress. What's access? It's how you get in. What's egress? How you come out. And when you realize this about the prayer, you come, you've got to have right access. In fact, the Bible says we come boldly before the throne room of grace. Uh, we, we can, and he inhabits the praises of his people. In fact, Psalms 100 says this. It says we enter, come before his presence with singing and I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. I will enter his courts with praise. I'm telling you, if you want to pray strategically, don't come to God and whip out your grocery list. How rude. Think about it. Parents, does it bless you when your kids come home and just whip out the grocery list? Oh, by the way, I got to have this, got to have that. Got to have it by tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, by the way. And I need a dozen cookies. That's rude. That's, that's, That's haphazard. And God says, when you pray, Jesus said, when you pray, be strategic Understand the strategy of access and egress. You enter his gates with thanksgiving. You, in fact, I love this, uh, Psalms 100. Come before his presence with singing. Amen. So, if your prayer life is missing this strategic ingredient, you've got to get this. This is, this is numero uno. It's Im- so imperative for us to understand that we enter his gates with thanksgiving. We come before his presence with singing. It's, it's like, it's like the, 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 the secret key into the heart of God. Amen. It's a prayer about praise. Number two, it's a prayer about position. Now, Follow me here for a moment. I'm going to get you. In fact, turn to First Chronicles 16, 29 uh, uh, and hold your place there. Because he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Everyone say, your name. Now, this is the, stra- I'm going to give you the strategy in, in, of proper positioning. Getting yourself in the right position with God uh, in order for your prayers to be uh, 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 strategically effective. Now, 1 Chronicles 16, 29 says this, give unto the Lord the glory do his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Everyone say glory do his name. That do his name, I love this, follow me. It means this, to honor one who has conspicuous position of authority over you. Honor one who has a conspicuous position of authority over you. Everyone say that out loud. Honor one who has a conspicuous position of authority over you. Now, in Scripture, when you start hallowing his name, and then you co- incorporate this, this mindset from 1 Chronicles 16, 29, you are honoring one who is conspicuously... How many of you know cons- what conspicuous means? I don't have the Webster's death. It's just obvious. 
When you come into the presence of God and you begin to worship Him, what you are doing is, is you are, you are recognizing that He has an obvious and conspicuous position and place of authority in your life. You're yielding yourself to the governance of God and you are honoring Him that. It's, it's a prayer about position. You come, for, come at Him from the revelation and understanding that He's Lord and you are His servant. Are you with me? And it's obvious to him. And, and let me say, you did, let me throw this out for your law prayer life. Ask yourself this question. Is it obvious to God? Is it, does, is it, does he see the fact that we see that he's Lord and authority in our life? Is my heart submitted to the governance of God in my life? In fact, the next part of the prayer that says, thy kingdom come, uh, we're going to hit that again in a minute, but really, it's about us, right? Thy kingdom, thy governance come, thy will be done. In other words, I yield myself to the governance of God. Pray, it, you see, this prayer of strategy, it's putting us in the right place. He is Lord. And we are his children. He's our heavenly father. And we are his children. We are submitted. We are properly positioned with him. I've actually heard people uh, in, teach how you command God to do things. You just need to command him to honor his word. No, I don't think so. Because he's in charge. Amen. Now. A little special note about position. Most prayers that people pray, now listen carefully. I may tweet this. I didn't tweet it earlier. I should tweet this. And I didn't read this out of a book, by the way. I feel kind of proud of myself. Most prayers endeavor to get God positioned in our world. Now, I don't think that's theologically incorrect, but a strategic prayer, praying like Jesus wants, is about positioning our lives in his world. Most prayers, people pray, I'm going to say it again, are about getting God to come and take his position in your world. I need you in my world. I need you in my finances. I need you in my marriage. I need you in my business. I need you. Yeah, I need you over over here in my world. And I think strategic praying. It's remember, it's not about us. Strategic praying is positioning ourselves in His world. Amen. Who? And when you when you get that. Now, aren't you glad he'll come into your world? Aren't you glad that he'll show up in the middle of your mess and touch you? And here's what I think. You can see law this if you want. Stop and think about that. That's what a word means, see law. You ever read that in Psalm? See law. What is that? Stop and think about it. When you began to position yourself rightly under the governance of God, and you look at prayer as, as I'm endeavoring to position myself in his world. And you get positioned in the middle of his world. Under his authority. Under his governance. He'll show up in the middle of your world. Amen. So trying to get God to come follow you around is, is pretty fruitless. But to follow him around is very productive. It's a different way of thinking about it. Amen? So, it, it's, a, it's a prayer about position. Uh, number three, it's a prayer about priorities. When you look at this prayer in, in verse 10, uh, what does it say? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. Now, here's the strategy. It's a strategy of heavenly alignment. And there it is again. I'm aligning with heaven. I'm not trying to get heaven to align with me. I'm aligning with heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. In other words, I'm not trying to get heaven to come down and line up with me. I'm trying to line up with heaven. I'm going to have to write a book about that. That's pretty cool. It's a strategy of heavenly alignment. You get rightly aligned. You see, most people's prayers are out of line. They're, they're, they're out of sync with the God's will and plan. They're trying to get God into our world. Hey, he wants you in his world. He has a will. He has a plan. We've got to pray according to his will and his plan. Amen. It's the strategy of heavenly alignment. He says, come kingdom of God, come will of God. In fact, uh, it's about getting our priorities. In fact, the word uh, will, uh, when he says your will be done, uh, your determination, that's another word for that. Let what you have determined be done. You know, God has determined some things about you. In fact, what does Romans 8 say? Romans 8 says this, verse 28, 29, and 30. It says that God has a predetermined destiny for your life. Now, it doesn't mean you have no responsibility in that. How many of you know finding and fulfilling the destiny of God for your life is is a cooperative effort? God has a plan. How many of you parents have a plan for your kids? But did they always go down the road that you wanted them to go down? Oh, no, they're messing up the plan. Uh, What do you think God thinks? He's written it out. He's got a plan for our life. He said, hey, and in fact, he said, all things can work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. He He has a plan for our life. He has a determination for our life. We've just got to cooperate and get under his plan and under his will and get our priorities straight and align with heaven. Uh, But the issue is sin has knocked humanity out of alignment with the predetermined destiny of God for our life. It's a prayer about priorities. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's getting our priorities straight. Number four, the model prayer, praying like Jesus wants, strategically is a prayer about purpose. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your determination be done on earth as it is in heaven. I call this the strategy of maintaining clarity of calling. Maintaining a clarity of calling in your life. You see, when you pray the way Jesus wants, it keeps you clear about the call and purpose of God for your life. What he has for you. It's not just about getting my priorities straight. God's first, this second, you know, and and I'm trying to get my little duckies in a row. It's about fulfilling the purpose of God for your life. Everyone say, God has a plan for my life. He has a purpose. And listen, if if you pray strategically, come kingdom of God. Come will of God. Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, in my life, in my family, as it's already determined in heaven. You know what will begin to unlock for you? Purpose and destiny. I wonder why the purpose-driven life was the second most best-selling book in the history of all humanity, other than the Bible. Did you know that? The purpose-driven life. More people have read, read and, uh, the purpose-driven life than any other book in the world other than the Bible. I know I like to quote the first sentence of the book, by the way. It's not about you. Is it? <laughs> it's not about you. It's the purpose of God. And so if you want the purpose of God to unfold in your life, you pray as Jesus prayed. It will bring clarity to the call of God for your life. I, you, you just don't know how many people I've said before, Pastor, I just don't know the will of, I want to know the will of God. I need to know what he wants me to do. Listen, get at the place of prayer. Align with heaven. And clarity will begin to come. You know, years ago, many years ago, 19, when did we move here, Stacy? 1980? Yeah, 1996. I'm getting my two two worlds mixed up. 1996? 
97? You sure? 90, no, 96? See, I don't know. What do I know? Okay. Let me just tell you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause it. I got a little time. I'm going to pause it. I lived in Quitman, Texas. Had a house on Lake Fork. Three pretty little kids. I traveled the world a couple of times a year. Church building was about paid off. Life was good. And Pastor Ron called and asked if I'd consider coming and pastoring this church. Well, that unnerved me. It excited me that someone cared. Somebody actually wants me to come and do something for them. That's, that kind of thrilled me. How many of you know that? that you know, and when I would think about that, I would get, and Beverly would we'd get dis, kind of not distraught, but oh man, I'd start thinking about that. I'm going, yikes. You know, mm. kids were in school. And so I said this to Pastor Ron. I said, Pastor Ron, I'm not going to jerk my kids out of school middle of the year. If I, if, if I did come, if I did say, I didn't even say I say yes. I, I said, if I were to come, it wouldn't be till school's out. I was thinking that would scare him off. Little did I know, he told me later, he said, God didn't give me but one name, and I had no other option. If you didn't do it, I don't know what I was going to do, because I'd had no more names. But as we began to pray, and I would get into the presence of God, and I would get strategic, when I was praying, clarity would come. Now, when I would just try to figure it all out, I'd get, but when I prayed, it was clear as a bell. Amen. A little side note. You want to know a little side note? In my moment of sacrifice, in fact, this kind of lines up with this surrender idea I've been kind of on to from the Romans 12 passage. I stood out on the dock in 1997, according to my daughter, of my Lake house that we built that's on Lake Fork, which is, and in my mind, I'm giving this all up. I'm leaving this. And I stood out there on the dock and I had this moment of surrender. I said, okay, God, we built this house. We love this place. I give it to you. I just, I, I, it's, it's just stuff. I give it to you. It all belongs to you. And the moment I said that, he said these words, clear as a bell. You can keep it if you want. I can? I never thought about that. I can keep it if I want. How could I keep it if I want? How can I pay? I can't afford two house payment. I can keep it if I want. Long story short, I leased it for a number of years. Now I'm leasing it uh, to people who come for the week and the weekend. And now I'm making money on that property. And I stood out on the dock this last week and, oh, I can keep it if I want. Hallelujah. <laughs> hey, it's not about what you give up. It's about what you gain. Listen, I'm, it just amazed me. I got me a, I got me a part-time job. It's managing that property. Last year, I, hey, this is not a big number, but it's big to me. Instead of just paying the payment with some renter in there who doesn't give a, a, a hoot about your property. Hey, I, I think I grossed $38,000 last year on that little property. About half of that, a third of that would be considered profit. Hey, but where did all that come from? It came by getting into the prayer closet and getting clarity in your life about the destiny of God for your life. Amen. It's a prayer about purpose. I'm fulfilling the purposes of God and I'm enjoying life at the same time. Amen. It's a prayer about purpose. Number five, the, the praying, the model prayer, praying like Jesus wants is a prayer about provision. Because he did say in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Now, that's a strategy of heavenly outsourcing. Now, 
When you read the totality of Matthew 6, the last part, he's addressing worry about provisions. How many of you know the majority of our life is spent worrying about provisions? In fact, the children of Israel, when they went into the wilderness, God says, don't worry about provisions. I'm going to take care of you. I'll give you quail. I'll give you manna. Uh, and I'll take care of you. It's heavenly outsourcing. Now, here's the thing we need to understand about str- strategic praying. Uh, in fact, he addressed, read the rest of Matthew 6. After he gets through, uh, he talks about, uh, don't worry about what you'll eat or what you drink. Don't the bird, he takes very care of the birds of the air and all those things. You get that? He's saying, don't worry about your, your 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 stuff if you'll just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness all these things will be added unto you under now he did say pray for for provision there's nothing wrong with praying for provision but it's the only part of the prayer that has to do with provision most of us spend 90 percent of our time talking about provision and a little bit of time talking about purpose and destiny at the place of our prayer how many of you know he wants to provide for you In fact, my Bible tells me he gives us all good things to enjoy. Could I get a better amen? God's not chinchy. God's not stingy. If you get your heart set right, if you get your prayer strategy set right, and you realize, hey, it's not about me. It's not about what, you know, uh, what I can uh, blab and grab and name and claim. It's about his kingdom come, his will be done. And I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He might just say, you can keep it if you want. He might just bless you. He might just, hey, he will. He, hey, he'll take good care of his kids. But what you and I need to understand, He's the one who does it. And we spend all our time and energy and effort about provision. And we should. If man doesn't work, neither should he eat. But understand something. That should not consume our life. You see, if, you're, if your need for provision is consuming you, you got the, you, it's, everything's upside down in your life. Can I say that again? Listen carefully. If your life is consumed with provision and money and resources and bills and job and business and this and that, if that consumes you and that's what the focus of your life at the place of prayer is, you are upside down in how you pray. You got it? It's the prayer of or the strategy of heavenly resource. And it keeps us relying on him instead of feeling self-sufficient. You know, I felt pretty uh, self-sufficient in my life at times. To the point I felt a little arrogant and I didn't realize it was arrogance. And I would give God the glory and the credit, but at one time I had this thing in my mind, I, whatever I put my hand to do, I can do it. And that sounds very spiritual because that's what God promised Joshua. Wherever you put your foot, I'll give it to you. There's promises like that, but I was kind of taking the credit for it in my mind. And, and I realized, and then one day God spoke to me. I, I, I'm kind of in this moment and God said, you can't breathe without me. That put everything in perspective. You know what the next thing I did? <gasps> oh, thank you, Jesus. I can breathe. I was afraid he's going to take that away. Uh, but, hey, it's trust in him. What's Proverbs 3? Trust in the Lord. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths. And then he talks about giving and provisions and all those things. Uh, it's a prayer about provision. And number six, praying like Jesus wants, the model to follow, is a prayer about pardon. It's about dealing with the sin factor. How many of you know there's still a sin factor? Now, Jesus came to deal with the sin factor. He shed his blood, right, so we could be made clean and clear. We were, we were separated from God. We were strangers, and we were separated from God. Sin has separated. What, what does the Bible say? Our sins have separated us from God. And that's why Jesus came, to put us back right with him. But here's what he teaches us. In the way you pray, the, the strategic prayer has a consistent place in the prayer to keep our hearts right with God and keep the sin factor at bay in our life. And it's the strategy of right relationships. Right relationship with God, 
and right relationship with others. Because what does he say here in this, in this passage? He says in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's a prayer that keeps us right with God and right with man. And if you're not right with man, you're not right with God. There's a lot of passages about that. And so, so he's telling you, if you want your, stra- your prayer life to be impacted, if you want to really make a difference, you better follow this model and you better keep yourself right with God and right with others. Forgive us as we forgive. In other words, in fact, this is the only part of the prayer that Jesus comes back and gives commentary on. Right after he says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. You know what the next thing he says? Oh, by the way, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. In other words, if you walk with unforgiveness in your heart, God can't forgive you. In fact, Sunday... Ooh, last Sunday. You know what my wife said about last Sunday? If you weren't, anybody not here last Sunday? Oh, you better go listen. Because my wife said it's one of the best sermons she ever heard in her life. I said, come on, tell me that one more time. I said, I better pray and fast a little more in my life. If I get my wife excited about my preaching, she's heard me preach the same message a hundred times. Of course, she laughs at all my jokes over and over again, so I won't falter for that. But listen, we talked about the testings of God. And, and next week we've got at least four more tests of God. And one of them is the test of forgiveness. I kind of feel like that God puts others, you remember others in our life to test us to see if we're going to be forgivers. And did you know if you don't forgive, God can't forgive. And if we don't forgive, we're the ones that are hurting. If somebody does us wrong and we don't forgive, we just hurt ourselves because we alienate ourselves from God. And Jesus said, when you pray, you got to stay right with me and right with others. I've had people in my life that tested this in me. Anybody else? And you know what? There are, there are a few things, not very many, but I'm going to count on this many fingers who's gotten under my skin for a long time. There's only one person that I can think of. And I've had to keep that thing at the place of prayer. And about the time I think I got it licked, Something comes up and I, I, oh, Lord, forgive me my trespass. I'm forgiven. I release. I will not hold a grudge. I will not be offended. I will not. I just, I forgive them. Did you know it's hard to be mad at somebody who you're always forgiven? I release them. I forgive them. What did Jesus do? They don't know what they're doing. And that's what I realized about this one person in my life that's been kind of my thorn in the flesh. It's, I think I'm pretty healed. I, I, I can talk about it without crying or throwing things now. But <laughs> I think I can. Uh, I just don't poke around there much. But you know what I realize now? He just didn't know what he was doing. He still doesn't. He just doesn't know how what he has done has hurt other people and how he has acted and what he says and how he does this and how he does that. And so now I feel more mercy for him than anything else. Are you with me? It's a prayer about pardon. Because if you're not right with God, how's your prayers? In fact... The Bible says, guys, if you got all, if you have all against anybody, you better go get it straight. Guys, if you got all against your wife, you better get it straight. Your prayers are like brass hitting the, hitting brass. They're not going anywhere. Okay. All right. And finally, this prayer, this praying like Jesus wants, 
the model prayer, the model to follow. The strategy is a prayer about power. Verse 13, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, this is, this is a strategy for consistent victory. How many of you want consistent victory over the devil in your life? Now, think about this. Jesus, when, he said, when you pray, the last thing I want you to say before you close out your prayer, I want you to realize that, hey, there's victory over the devil. There's an evil one out there. How many of you know there's evil forces of wickedness in heavenly places trying to undermine the destiny of God for our life and divert us and distract us? And this strategy is a strategy of consistent victory. If you want to be consistently victorious in your life over the devil. Now, there is a devil. Everybody say there is a devil. There is a hell. There are demons. And they have been assigned to your destruction, to your demise. The Bible says the thief comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy. Troy. He has no mercy. He, hey, he wants to kill your kids. He wants to, he wants to mess up your family. He has, hey, he's strategic in his approach to your life. Did you know the devil knows your weaknesses more than you do? He knows how to exploit your weaknesses. And so Jesus said, if you want to be strategic in your praying, you need to pray this prayer. You need to, you need to say, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, keep us victorious over this devil. Deliver us from his influences in our life. And it's a realization that without the Lord in our life, we have no authority over the devil, but with him we do. In fact, what did Jesus teach us? He taught us that, that uh, we can tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt us. Somebody say amen. Now, that's how to pray strategically. It's the model to follow. And I want to encourage you to put this model into play. It would be ludicrous, tragic for us to have such a great model and not to follow. follow. You see, when Jesus said, this is the way I want you to pray, the prayer that he wants you to pray is strategically impacting in every area of your life. Amen? So, with that being said, let's stand up together.